Two weeks ago, we talked about our first calling in life. The very first thing we are called to do as followers of Jesus Christ, our first purpose as a Christian, and it's not to do something for God. What we learned is it's to receive something from God. The very first calling that you and I have as a follower of Jesus Christ is not to do anything, but it's to be loved by God. And in fact, if you don't understand the first calling as a Christian, if you don't embrace the first purpose of following Jesus, here's what will take place. You're going to mess up Christianity. You're going to take something beautiful and awesome, and you're going to turn it into an ugly religion if you don't understand your first purpose. So I cannot encourage you enough, if you missed that week, two weeks ago, go back and listen online or watch it on YouTube, Called to Be Loved. Last week, how many of you enjoyed our executive pastor, Steve? Didn't he do a fantastic job last week? I tell you, I watched it this week, and so powerful. His life story just coincided perfectly with the message last week of what it means to belong, that we are called to be connected to the body of Christ, that we're first to be loved, and then we are to belong. And that leads us into our third calling. Like We can't even get to the third calling of our life if the first two aren't in place. This one doesn't work without the first two. It's, they're built on each other. And this week, we're going to deal with your call to become. Not only are you called to be loved and you're called to be longed, you're called to become. And again, these are building blocks on top of each other. Now, God has five purposes for your life or five callings for your life or five strategies, missions, visions for your life. And we're going to deal with the next two in the following weeks. But today, we're going to deal with what does it mean to become? Like, now that I've allowed God to love me and now that I'm connected and I belong, what does it mean to become the person God wants me to become? So let's jump back into kind of the theme text for this entire summer, which is Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. It says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. Now, let me explain that for a moment. It does not say God causes everything. It says God causes everything to work together for good. There's a big difference. Everything we go through in life, the good, the bad, the ugly, God doesn't cause it all. Sometimes life causes it. Sometimes we cause it. We just, this world is broken, and as a result, we're going to go through hell from time to time. We're going to suffer from time to time. We're going to have problems. We're going to have hardships. God doesn't cause the problems of our life. What God does is he causes them to work together for his good. In other words, God will take all the junk life throws at you. And if you will allow him, he will take the junk that life throws your way and he'll work it together for his good and for your good. How? To those who are called according to his purpose. Again, it's all about living your calling and living your purpose. So when you're living out your calling, when you're letting God love you and when you're connected to his body and you belong and when you are becoming... God will take everything that comes your way, and he will work it together for his good. goes on to say, for God knew his people in advance. In other words, before you were born, God knew you. He had a plan for your life. You are not an accident. And it says he chose them. Now, here's our third calling in life, to become like his son. You and I are called to become like God's son, become like Jesus, now that you're in the family, God wants you to grow up and become like your older 
brother, so that his son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters to follow. So my third calling in life is to become like Christ. That's the third calling that you and I have. First thing is to let God love us. Second thing is that we get connected and we belong and we have community and we have family. The third calling, the third mission for our life is that we become the men God wants us to become, the women God wants us to become. Now, what does that mean? Well, first understand, this, is, this does not mean that you're going to be God. Like, you're not going to be God. You're not even going to be a little G God. You're not even going to be a mini-me God. That's not what it's talking about at all. God is God, and you're not. And that is a great antidote for stress in your life when you realize it. What this means is God wants you to become godly. In other words, God wants you to take on the characteristics of his family, like father, like son. The Bible says that God is loving, says that God is joyful, that God is peaceful, that God is patient, that God is kind, that God is merciful, that God is self-controlled. We call those things the fruit of the Spirit, and they are a perfect picture of what Jesus Christ looks like. So if you and I are going to become like Jesus, it means we're going to be filled with love and filled with joy, and filled with peace, and filled with kindness, and filled with mercy, and filled with self-control and patience. So the question is then, how do I become what God calls me to be? Because there's not a lot of patience in my life right now. There's not a lot of peace in my life right now. I'm staying up at night, dealing with anxiety, dealing with stress. Like That, that stuff doesn't resemble me. Well, five times in the Bible, the Bible correlates this process to running a race, this whole process of becoming like Jesus, the process of spiritual maturity, the process of our growth as a Christian. It relates it to a race and not not a 50-yard dash, but a marathon. And what you've got to realize is you're running that race right now. Like you're on the track. You're running the race of life currently. And your goal in this race is to become the man that God wants you to become or become the woman that God wants you to be. This is your third calling to become what God made you. So what I'd like to do today is we're going to look at these five passages in the Bible that that relates this, this race that we're in, the race of life, to spiritual growth. And we're going to look at eight principles out of these five passages. And again, you're going to go much deeper in this this week and you're reading in your small group. And the discussion in your small group is going to be critical to really talk this out with the people in your small group, because this will be a challenging day for some of you. And that's why you need to talk this out this week with your small group. So how do I get from where I am to where God wants me to be? Because God doesn't want me to stay the same. God wants you and he wants me to grow up. In other words, God wants you out of spiritual diapers. Like, like it, it's time for some of you to get potty trained spiritually. Now, we have a newborn at home, so this is language in our family. But it's time for some of you to grow up. It's time for you to get rid of the diapers and grow up a little bit spiritually. So what does full maturity look like? How do, we, how do we become like Jesus? Let me give you eight things to help you in this journey from these five passages. First off, you're going to have to simplify my life. I, I've got to simplify my life. I've got to get some things out of my life, in other words. 
I'm going to have to cut some things out. I'm going to have to clean some things out. I'm going to have to discard some of the junk that is holding me back from becoming everything God wants me to be. You've got to kind of go through your schedule, and some of the things that are in your weekly schedule need to be cut out because those things are holding you from being all that God wants you to be. Some of you are going to have to evaluate some of the relationships in your life and realize that some of the relationships you have right now are preventing you from being everything God wants you to be. Some of you just need to get rid of the unnecessary baggage in your life. In other words, if you're going to run a marathon, you're not going to run wearing a huge parka or, or a bunch of baggage, or with suitcases following behind you. If you've ever watched a marathon on television or, or seen a marathon live, these athletes, like, if you want to know what simplify your life looks like, watch a marathon, because they have simplified their life down to the basics. They're not wearing backpacks and jeans and the latest designer boots and carrying a handbag and all of this you know, extra baggage running a marathon. They have simplified things down to the tiniest, most lightweight pair of shorts you have ever seen, to a string tank top and tiny little lightweight slipper shoes. I mean, it is the most basic bare necessities imaginable to run that marathon. Well, the same is true for your spiritual journey. If you're going to run the marathon of life, if you're going to become everything God wants you to become, you're going to have to simplify your life a little bit. You're going to have to get rid of some things that are holding you back. Eliminate the diversions, the distractions, the detours, the dead ends, the time wasters in your life. Hebrews 12, the first passage we're looking at, says it like this. Let us strip off anything. The word anything in the Greek is the Greek word oikos, which means weights. Let's get rid of the weights that slow us down or hold us back. Now, what are the weights of life? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Weights are not bad things. Weights are just unnecessary things. Oftentimes, weights are actually good things in your life that prevent you from doing the best things in your life. So it's not necessarily a sinful thing or a bad thing. It's just an unnecessary thing. It's just not the best thing for your life. And then it talks about sin and especially the sin and sins even worse than weights that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. Let us run with patience. I love this phrase, the particular race. Do you realize there's a particular race for you? God has an individual specific race for each and every one of you. And the truth is your mom can't run your race and your dad can't run your race and your spouse can't run your race and your friends can't run your race. It is a particular race that only you can run. And by the way, you can't run anybody else's race. And here's the problem of life. Everybody wants you to run their race. Or everybody wants you to run the race they have for your life. Because have you ever noticed everybody has a plan for you? Like your mom has a plan for you, and your dad has a plan for you, and your friends have a plan for you, and your spouse has a plan for you, and your boss has a plan for you. You've got to decide, whose race am I going to run in life? I can run my race in life, or I can run the race other people want me to run, or I can run the race that God wants me to to run, but you can't run all three. You've got to make a decision. I can either do my plan for my life or God's plan for my life, but I can't do both. 
I can either do your plan for my life or God's plan for my life, but I can't do both. And this means some of you are going to have to let go of expectations because you're living for the expectations of others and you can't please everyone. You got to decide, did God put you on earth to please your friends or to please your mom or to please your dad or to please your spouse or to please your teacher or to please your clique or to please your fans and friends on social media? Or did God put you on earth to please him and live for his plan for your life? You're going to run the race. You're going to have to simplify your life. Here's number two. Don't get impatient or in a hurry. This race is going to take your entire lifetime. It's not going to be quick. You're not going to get there in a week or a month or a year. It's not like we, we you know, cross the finish line and then we get to spend 10 years on vacation here on earth before God brings us to heaven. Like, like I finished everything God wants me to do. Now I can just kind of hang out till Jesus comes back. doesn't work that way. This race is going to last your lifetime. And again, it's not a 50-yard dash. It is a marathon. I ran cross country for one year in high school. Now, anytime you do long distance running, you learn very, very quickly that you don't come out of the gate sprinting like a 50-yard dash. Like if you do that, you're going to burn out and fizzle out and and you're not going to finish the race. You've got to pace yourself. And the same is true about Christianity. You've got to pace yourself. Now, the first year of Christianity, you're going to grow faster than any other year of your salvation. The very first year, the first year you're saved, the first year you give your life to Jesus, you're going to make the the largest steps of growth in your entire journey. And the same is true in your first year as a human. Like my, my newborn son is two months old now, and he has almost doubled in size in the first two months of his life. This will be the fastest year of his growth out of his entire life. Could you imagine if we still grew at the pace we grew the first year of our life? I mean, can you imagine in the next two months if I went from 180 to 360 pounds? I mean, can you imagine what we would look like if we, if we kept that pace throughout our life? See, the truth is, growth slows down, but it becomes stable, it becomes secure, it becomes solid. So the first year that I gave my life to Christ, I had the biggest changes take place, like major things in my life, changed the way I thought, changed the way I lived, all this massive stuff changed in my life. But the rest of my journey has been a little bit slower, but it's been stable and it's been secure. You see, when God wants to make a mushroom, he takes six hours to do it. When God wants to make an oak tree, he takes 60 years to do it. You've got to decide, do you want to be a mushroom or do you want to be an oak tree? (laughs) I don't know about you, but in the storms of life and the tornadoes of life and the hurricanes of life, I want to be a mighty oak tree with roots deep down into the soil. So as your pastor, I can teach you how to become a man of God. And I can teach you how to become a woman of God, but what I cannot do is teach you how to do it quickly. It takes time. Again, it's why Hebrews says, let us run with patience. You're going to need patience to run this race. Again, this is also why just about every message we do around here, we try to give you one or two practical takeaways that you can apply to your life with every message. Like, how do you make this work? We don't want to just give you kind of an art or history lesson and show you how beautiful the Bible is. I want to show you how it works in your life today. Like, how do I make this thing work? Because I'm, I know that if you'll take one or two baby steps a week, at the end of the year, you're going to be so much further down the road than you ever imagined you could be. Here's number three. 
oh, let me just show you this real quick. Uh, my pastor taught me this. Daily disciplines compound over a lifetime. Daily disciplines compound. One of the most powerful forces on earth is compound interest, right? Compound interest, daily disciplines. When you read the one-year Bible every day, when you pray every day, when you spend time with God, daily disciplines compound over a lifetime. Here's number three. Spend time focusing on Jesus every day. Every day, spend time focusing on Jesus. And again, I'm not, not saying six hours, eight hours. Just start with five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, focusing on Jesus, focusing my thoughts and my mind on Jesus. Now, why is that important? Because whatever you want to become in life, you've got to spend time focusing on. You've got to spend time thinking about. You become like whoever you spend the most time with. So if you hang out with people who have no ambition in life, guess what? You're not going to have any ambition in life. If you hang out with people who are negative and critical, guess what? You're going to become negative and critical. It's the old cliche. You can't soar with the eagles if you're running with the turkeys. So there might be some relationships in your life you need to back away from. Relationships that are holding you back from being God's best. And we've got to spend time with Jesus every day. We actually, in Christianity, we call this a quiet time. It's called a quiet time. And you can do a quiet time any time during the day. I personally feel the best time is in the morning when you start your day with Jesus. The rest of the day just works out so much better when he's first. But honestly, you can do it any time during the day. And what you do in a quiet time is you just find a place where you can be alone. Maybe it's your favorite chair in your house. Maybe it's your backyard. Maybe it's you know hiking a trail or, or taking a walk somewhere. And you just find a place and you just talk to God. And I highly encourage that you do it out loud, that you don't think your prayers, but you actually say them out loud. There's, there's more power and more connection when you, because here's the thing, when you think your prayers, you're going to start daydreaming. Like when I close my eyes to pray, I'm going right to sleep. Like, yeah, I'm not going to stay awake when I close my eyes to pray. So I talk my prayers out loud. And so in the quiet time, you just talk very normally to God. God, here's what my day looks like. I've got this meeting coming up and, and I could really use some wisdom because we're trying to make a decision at work. And I've got this thing over here that that I'm worrying about. I'm, I've got a little stress, and I really want to give it to you. Help me figure out how to give this to you. And I've got this other situation over here, God, and this is what's going on. And I, I just, you know, I, I need some help today, God. You just share your heart with him. And then the, here's the key. You spend some time quiet where you let him speak to you. See, the reason God hasn't spoken to a lot of people is because they've never been quiet long enough for God to get anything out. So after you tell God kind of what's going on in your life and you talk to him a little bit, you just sit there quietly and you let him speak to you. And oftentimes the way God speaks to me is he'll just put a thought into my head. You're like, well, well how does he do that? Well, if God can create radio waves with you know, invisible things that you know, create music, then he can put thoughts in your head. And, and what we call that is inspiration. When God puts a thought in your head, it's called inspiration. When the devil puts a thought in your head, it's called temptation. When you put a thought in your head, it's just called stupidity. Here's the scripture for it. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. That's why we have a quiet time. We spend time every day focusing our eyes on him because he's the starter and the finisher of our race. He was there in the beginning and he's going to be faithful to finish it. And the more time you spend with him, the more you're going to look like him. Again, this is the third purpose of my life is to become like Jesus, to look like him, to reflect him. 
Paul puts it this way. All of us have had the veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of God. A mirror only works if you're in close proximity of it. If I'm not standing next to the mirror, the mirror is not going to reflect my face. But if I'm in close proximity to the mirror, then the mirror works. It reflects my image. When I'm in close proximity to Jesus, then I reflect who he is. Paul goes on to say, and as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him. Again, this is a process. It's not going to happen instantaneously. I know we like, you know, most of us, we want the Christian magic pill. Let me just take a pill, and then all of a sudden, I am now walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Like, I am like God. Like, I never get angry and never get impatient and just have this unflowing mercy and kindness because of the magic pill. It doesn't work that way. There's no magic pill. There's instant coffee, and there's instant mashed potatoes, but there's no such thing as instant Christianity. It is a process of becoming more and more like him. Here's number four. And this is the one that I really want you to talk out this week in your small group. Like, honestly, this message isn't going to work without your small group this week. You need your small group to talk this out because this is where it's going to get a little challenging for some of you because I'm going to answer some questions, but it's not the answers you want. And it's not the answers that's going to bring you any level of comfort. When life gets hard, remember the reward. When life gets hard, remember the reward. You're going to have a lot of problems in this life. I'm just going to tell you right now. You're going to suffer. You're going to have trials. You're going to have difficulties. There's going to be ups and downs. And remember, God's goal is to make you more like Jesus. And so God will use all of the garbage of your life, all of the problems, all of the difficulties, all of the suffering. God's going to use that to make you more like his son because that's his goal. And so if the goal of God is to make me more like Jesus, then what that means, and and listen closely, because this is going to be tough to swallow. If God's going to make me more like Jesus, then what God's going to do is he's going to take me through everything that Jesus went through to accomplish it. Were there times when Jesus was lonely? Yeah. Were there times when Jesus was criticized? Yes. Were there times where Jesus was treated unfairly and abused? Yeah. Were there times where Jesus was betrayed? Yes. Were there times where he was completely worn out with fatigue and yet he still had to keep going? Yes. Were there times he was misunderstood? Yes. If God did not spare his own son from going through those things, why do you think God's going to spare you from going through them? He's not. You need to realize that God wants to use all of that junk in your life, all of the pain, all of the problems, all of the trials, all of the sufferings that you and I are going to go through in this world, and he wants to use those things to form us to become more and more like his son. He uses it to build character. So instead of simply crying out for the why, 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 why is this happening to me? We need to start asking the what. The what? God, what do you want me to learn from this situation? You didn't create it. You didn't cause it. You don't like it. I don't like it. But what do you want me to learn? 
Because the Bible tells us that Jesus learned obedience through suffering, that Jesus was made complete through suffering, and you and I are going to learn the very same way. So you shouldn't be surprised when problems come your way. This is not supposed to be the easy stage. We're just passing through. The easy stage happens in eternity. The easy stage happens after earth when there's no more sorrow and there's no more tears and there's no more pain and no more sadness and no more problems and no more suffering and no more difficulties. That's the easy stage. But right now, you and I are going to go through problems and go through heartache and go through suffering because this is where we develop character. And so when life gets hard, you're going to have to remember the reward. Remember that we're just passing through. Problems are part of the process. Hebrews puts it like this. Jesus did not give up because of the cross, because of the suffering, because of the pain, because of the heartache. On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him, he was, he was remembering the reward. He thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross. And he is now seated at the right side of God's throne. Think of what he went through, how he put up with so much hatred from sinners. So do not let yourselves become discouraged and give up. The pain is part of the plan. The problems are part of the plan. Again, God doesn't create it. The world creates it. God uses it. First Peter puts it like this. After you suffer, we're going to suffer in the world that we live in. We're going to suffer whether you were Christians or whether we're not Christians. We're going to suffer either way. We're going to suffer for a short time. God who gives all grace will make everything right. Again, God's going to take everything you go through in life and he's going to work it for his good. He's going to make it right. He will make you strong and support you and keep you from falling. He called you. Again, this is our calling to share in his glory in Christ, a glory that will continue forever. So the truth is we're going to have short-term problems for long-term glory in heaven. God never promised us to have an easy life here on earth. But what he promises is that you will be rewarded in heaven for what you learn from the problems here on earth. The fact is, life is hard. And the reason life is hard is because this isn't heaven, this is earth. And everything on this planet is broken. Now, are there happy times on earth? Of course there are. Are there good times on earth? Of course there are. Is there pleasure on earth? Yes. Are you going to have times of joy? Absolutely. But a general rule is life is hard. Let me show you the, the worst verse in the entire Bible. This, this is the verse that if I could delete any verse from the Bible, it would be delete this verse. Now, half of it's good. The second half, not so good. No one preaches out of this one, by the way. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Now, that's the good part. That's the good news. Like, I am an heir. I'm a child of God. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. We're going to inherit heaven. We're going to inherit all the glory of God. Here's the part I don't like so much. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. That's the part I don't like, to be very honest. Can I just have the glory? No pain, no gain. This brings me into our memory verse for the week, which is Romans 8, 28. In all things, in every pain, in every suffering, in every heartache, in every problem, in every trial you ever go through, God works for the good of those who love him, 
who have been called according to his purpose, when you're living out your calling, when you're living out your purpose, when you're living in God's love and you belong and you're connected and you're becoming, God's going to take everything you go through to shape you into who he wants you to be. Here's number five, gather a team to run with me. I need people around me. I need people supporting me. I need people running with me. Now, again, nobody else can run your race, but people can support your race. They can encourage your race. They can be with you in the race. They can't run it for you, but they can support you. And we call that a small group. Again, this is why it is critical that you are in a small group. And it doesn't have to be a small group of Coastline Church. It could be any small group of believers in your life. But you need three, four, five believers in your life, Christians in your life, followers of Jesus in your life that are there running with you, supporting you, loving you, or you're not going to make it to the end of the race. It's the old African proverb, to run fast, run by yourself, but to run far, run with other people. God rigged it. You can't do this alone. You weren't designed to do it alone. You were created to run it with others. You don't need 100 people running with you or 50 people or 10 people, but you do need three or four people running this race with you. That's why Hebrews says, let us consider how we may spur one another on. Now, There are times in your life where you're going to need to be spurred on, and there's times where you're going to have to spur other people on. But the key is who are your one another's? Ask your that. Everyone, just stop for a moment. Ask yourself the question, who are the one another's in your life? Because it's critical that you have some one another's in your life. You cannot complete your mission without some one another's in your life. And it's not just your wife and not just your husband. It needs to be more than them because there's times where you're going to fight with them and you need another one another to help you. So don't think, well, I've got my wife or I got my husband. No, that, that, that's not enough. You need some one another's in your life. Let us not give up meeting together. Let's, let's not you know, forsake the small groups that God creates for us as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage. Again, here's another one another, one another. You need one another's in your life as you see the day approaching. Here's number six. Remember, God is cheering me at every stage. This one is huge. I I, I pray so passionately that you will understand what this means. God is cheering for you at every single stage of your development in your journey. See, some people, they've got this warped idea about God that he only smiles on you when you're doing everything right. There are people who think that God is only happy with you when you're doing everything right, that God only smiles when you reach the finish line. But until you become spiritually mature, God really doesn't have time for you, and you're dead wrong. You're dead wrong. God is cheering for you at every stage of your journey, even when you're struggling, even when you fail. Even when you sin, God knows you're making progress. He knows you're on a journey, and he's cheering for you. Think about it. Nobody shames a baby for not being able to read like, you dumb baby. (laughs) Nobody shames a nine-year-old for not being able to drive a car or balance a bank account like, you idiot, what's wrong with you? Nobody treats a kid that way. Yet, For some reason, we have this idea about God that he's ashamed of us because I'm struggling, because I haven't achieved this yet, or because I haven't gotten free of this yet, or because I haven't dealt with that, or I still have this hang-up in my life, that somehow God's not happy with me. 
And you got to see that God smiles at you every stage of your development. He's cheering you on. He's not waiting for you to reach a certain level before he's happy with you. He's cheering for you now. How many of you parents ever had a kid do a race at school? Can I ask you a question? When did you start cheering for them? When they finished the race or at the beginning of the race? And what did you do when they tripped and fell and embarrassed themselves and landed on their face? Did you just... (laughs) Or did you cheer louder? Get up. I love you. You can do it. Come on. You've got to see God that way. When you struggle and you fail and you blow it, God is not mad. He's not disappointed. He's not shocked. Heaven doesn't shut down over it. He's cheering you on. He said, it's okay. Get up. I love you. Get up. You can do this thing. I'm with you. I'm right here. I'll run with you. Go for it. And see, here's the problem. We start shaming ourselves because we think God is ashamed of us. And the number one thing that will prevent you from becoming the man God wants you to be or the woman God wants you to be is shame. It's shame. You get frustrated with yourself. Like, I've been a Christian long enough not to be dealing with this. Why am, I still de- why am I still hung up on this? Why do I still have this issue in my life? Like, I should know better. And then we beat ourselves up, and we shame ourselves, and we think God is beating us up, and there is nothing further from the truth. God is cheering for you. Look look at the way Apostle Paul, the greatest apostle in the Bible, wrote over half the New Testament. Look look at the way he describes his life. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. Like, I'm not there yet. I mean, this is Paul. Or that I've already reached perfection. I am so far away from being perfect. I'm so far from being what I need to be. And some of you are beating yourselves up for it. Look, look. Just give yourself a break. But I keep working toward the day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. Look, I'm not going to give up. I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect yet. I haven't got it all worked out. I still have some issues. I still have some hangups, but I'm going to move forward. I'm still not all I should be, but I'm focusing all of my energy on this one thing. I'm going to forget the past. I'm going to stop shaming myself and beating myself up and condemning myself, and I'm going to look forward to what lies ahead because there's something so incredible for for me. He goes on to say, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize which God through Christ Jesus is calling. Again, this is our calling, calling us up to heaven. God is cheering for you at every stage. He's not disappointed at you. When you struggle and you fail and you sin and you make mistakes, he's not in heaven tapping his foot like, can't you get your act together? Don't project on God an unpleasable parent. God loves you. Here's number seven. Take every step with purpose. Live your life with purpose. Live your life intentionally. For years of my life, I wasted my life. For years, I I didn't live with purpose, and I don't want to waste any more time. The truth is, you're going to have to be purposeful, intentional, meaning you're going to have to have self-control. You're going to have to live with self-control. If you're going to become what God wants you to become, you can't live like everyone else. You can't do what culture says is acceptable and be what God wants you to be. 
become the person God wants you to be and live. Think about an Olympic athlete. If you ever watched a documentary on an Olympic athletes, they can't live like everyone else. They have to eat certain things. They have to go to bed at a certain time. They have to wake up at a certain time. They don't get to go just hang out and do what everyone else gets to do. Why? They're incredibly disciplined because they're going after a gold medal. Well, you and I are going after a prize. We're running a race. Meaning, I can't live the way everyone else lives. I can't do what my neighbors do. And I can't you know, live the life that, that everyone else gets to live. I've got to stay focused and disciplined. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, all athletes practice strict self-control. Some do it to win Super Bowls. Some do it to win gold medals. They do it to win this prize. It's going to fade away. It's a meaningless prize. And yet they've got this self-control. But we do it for an eternal prize. We practice self-control because what we're running for is so much more important. So I run straight to the goal with purpose. This is my purpose. This is my calling in every step. I'm not going to waste one step of my life. I'm going to be intentional about every step, every step with purpose. I'm not like a boxer who misses his punches. In other words, Paul says, I'm not shadow boxing. If I'm going to throw a punch, I'm going to make sure it lands. And if I'm going to land a punch, I'm going to make sure it hurts. And I'm going to live my life with purpose behind every single step. That's how we get to the finish line. And then finally, here's here's my favorite one. Number eight, realize that what I don't finish, God will. Look, I'm on this journey to try to become like Jesus. Jesus. And I've got hang-ups, and I've got issues, and I've got struggles, and I've got things that are getting worked out of my life. But the good news is, if I don't get it all done before Jesus comes back or before I go see him, he's still going to finish it. So at the end of my race, if I still have some hang-ups, and if at the end of my race, I'm still struggling with this or that, it's okay. Whatever I don't finish in my race, God is going to to finish. He created me to become like Christ. But if I don't get there in my lifetime, God is still going to complete it. He's still going to finish the work. Philippians 1, Paul puts it like this. I'm sure that God, who began the good work within you, he began it in me, he began it in you, he's going to continue his work until it's finally finished. God's going to finally finish the work he started in you. Whatever you don't get done in this life, God's going to get it done. He's going to get it done. Now, our goal is to get as much done as we can. But we don't have to live with the pressure that I need to be perfect. We don't have to live with the pressure that I got to get it all worked out. I don't need to live with the pressure that, that I'm not moving fast enough. See, stop comparing yourself to everyone else. See, here's the problem. You look at other people's struggles and other people's hangups And then you compare it to yours and like, why am I struggling? They're not struggling with this. Why am I still struggling? Because you had a different childhood. you, You had a different life experience. You're struggling with things because of your life experience. They're not struggling with it, not because they're more godly than you. They just had a different life experience than you. So stop comparing yourself to other people's race. And just rest in the fact that whatever you don't finish, God's going to finally finish on the day when Christ Jesus comes back again. See, there's a day where you're either going to go see him or he's coming to earth. And either way, on that day, that work is going to be finished. When you see Jesus face to face, all of your weakness is gone. 
All of your hang-ups, gone. All of your character issues, gone. All of your insecurities, all of your frailties, all of your failures, all of your blemishes and flaws, gone. And this is huge news. I'm not what I ought to be today, but God's going to finish it. Here's my last verse, 1 John. Dear friends, we're already God's children. I love that. See, again, so many of us have this view of God that I got to finish the race before God will accept me. Like, I got to live really good. I got to obey really well. I got to get all this junk worked out of my life before God will accept me as a child. No, we're already his children. God takes you as you are. Now, he doesn't want to leave you that way. He wants you to grow up. He wants you to become like his son. But he receives you exactly the way you are with all of your issues, all, all of your issues, all your hangups, all of it. We're already his children, and we can't even imagine what we will be like when Christ returns. Like he's gonna finish the work. But we do know that when Jesus comes, we will be like him. We will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. So let me say, I don't know where you're at currently in your race. You may be struggling right now. You may have fallen flat on your face. What I do want you to hear is the voice of God saying, it's okay, I love you. I'm not ashamed. I'm not disappointed. I believe in you. Get up. Let's keep running. Let's do it together. See, God is the type of dad. Ever been to like one of those races where the kid falls and some dad runs out of the bleachers to pick him up and carry him across the finish line? That's that's the type of dad God is. Like he, he so loves you. He's not embarrassed to be associated with you even when you fail. Like my son makes mistakes all the time. It doesn't make me want to turn my back on him. It makes me want to love him more because I realize he needs me. That's why he still lives with me. And you got to get this view of God. That when you struggle, when you look at the stuff on the internet that you've told yourself time and time again, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, and then you struggle and you fall, God is not ashamed or disappointed in you. He's simply there saying, it's okay, get up, let's keep running. We're going to beat this thing. I'm not giving up on you. We'll run it together. He's cheering you on every stage. Every stage. And so our responsibility is let's take our next step in this journey. And I encourage you, talk this out with your small group this week. This is going to be a great, great discussion this week for you. This is going to be some good stuff to wrestle over when you're small group. Would you close your eyes with me? Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person here in the race that they are running. Wherever they're at, God, don't let them beat themselves up because they think they should be further along. Just let them say, okay, here's where I'm at. Fine, let's deal with it. Let me just take my next step. And God, if they'll just take a baby step every week, the end of the year, they're going to be so much further down the road than they ever possibly could have imagined. But also let them understand that there's a process to this. Now, step one is they've got to allow themselves to be loved by you. 
Step one is not doing anything for you. Step one is letting you do something for us. Step two, God, is they've got to be connected. They've got to belong. They'll never get to the becoming stage until they've accepted and embraced the belonging stage. So God, let them get connected. Find their small group of people that they can run the race of life with. And then God, let us begin to grow more and more like Jesus every day. Let us not compare the pace of our growth with other people, God. Let us just make sure we're making forward progress. And understand that you're smiling and you're cheering for us. And let us just be patient to know that I'm not going to deal with everything in a week. I spent a lifetime getting into the position that I'm in. It's going to take some time to work some of this stuff out of my life. Just have that patience. But Lord, let us all embrace the challenge of taking our next step in this journey. In Jesus' name.